One of the biggest challenges faced by hunters today is finding a place to hunt. Luckily, our forefathers set aside millions of acres of wild public land for all of us to hunt on. If you do your research and put in a little effort, you will find some great public land hunting spots all over the country and have an opportunity to kill wild game this hunting season. My guest today, Shane Simpson, talks about his experiences as a lifelong public land deer hunter. He explains how he finds a piece of public land to hunt on, what to expect hunting on public land, and his strategies for scouting and hunting on public land. Welcome to Activate the Hunt, helping you master the skill of hunting. If you're a new hunter who's just getting started, or you've been hunting for a while, but want to learn new tips, tactics, and information to help you become a better hunter, this podcast is for you. Get ready to activate the hunt. Welcome to Episode 7 of Activate the Hunt Podcast. My name is Colin Cottrell, and I'm your host. Whether you're new to the show or you've been a listener from the start, I want to welcome you. I interview some of the top hunters and hunting ambassadors there is and ask them the questions that will help all of us learn hunting tips, tactics, and information. But most importantly, it's my personal goal to spread the true message of value that hunting offers each of us. Before we jump into the interview this week with Shane Simpson, I have something I want to mention. I know it's been a few weeks since you've last heard from me. I do want to be straightforward. With a new day job and a new baby, it's been a busy month or so for me, and I'm sorry it's been a while since I put out a new podcast. I have to say, I appreciate all of you who messaged me over the last month asking when a new episode would come out. You diehard listeners and followers are why I'm doing this podcast in the first place, and it means a lot to me to have your support. All right, that's enough for the intro this week. I want to jump right into the show. You'll enjoy the interview this week with Shane Simpson as we talk about public land deer hunting. Shane, thanks for coming on the show today. I appreciate it, man. How you doing? I'm pretty good, Colin. It's my pleasure. I'm, uh, I'm glad. I guess uh, I'm appreciative that, that you uh, gave me a chance to be on the show. I, I listen to some of your other podcasts and, and podcasts to others, and, and it's always interesting to hear that and, and kind of honored to be actually chosen to be on it. But anyway. No, man, I, I appreciate having you on as well. I, I've been following you for years and we've, we've connected a bunch through social media over the years and, and we've actually hunted together before as well. You filmed me anyway, uh, on a hunt one time. So, you know, that was kind of fun, but, uh, you know, you're a guy that I like to follow because you're kind of the common, you know, public land deer hunter. You know, you're the common man. You, you work a regular job, have a regular, you know, life, kids, family, all that stuff, but you, you still put your passion you know out there and uh, I, I like to follow you definitely through social media and, and learn from you so that was the biggest reason why I wanted to get you on on activate the hunt so we could you know talk about some of your uh, tips and your information and share that with uh, you know especially the the new hunters that are listening to the show so mm-hmm. cool I, I don't know what I can offer but uh, I'll I'll just be honest uh, with what I'm doing and if anyone takes anything from that and uh, I guess it's a good thing. Oh, heck yeah. You, you, you'll do great, man. It's going to be good. This is going to be good information here. So tell tell me a little bit, because, you know, you're from Minnesota, you're living in Minnesota, but your your accent obviously isn't Minnesotan up from up north. So tell me a little bit about where you're from originally and how you got, you know, started hunting. <laughs> well, if you talk to, if you talk to people up here, I have a Southern accent, but if you talk to uh, like family and friends back home, they think I've lost it or, or almost lost it. Um, <laughs> cause I, I guess I've been here 10 years and, um, 
uh, I met my fiance when I lived in uh, when I was living in South Carolina. I actually met her online, um, and uh, she was a flight attendant at the time. And uh, she would fly down and see me on weekends, and sometimes she spent you know quite a bit of time down there. And after doing that for a while, you know, we decided it was something serious. And uh, and I was actually in the process of looking to move because I was I was in, I'm in the graphic uh, industry, graphic printing, large format printing. And, uh, there's a lot of those jobs available across this country, especially when I was first getting into it, it was, um, it was a developing, uh, technology and the industry was really growing. And I'm, and I was looking to get, you know, like everyone's ready to get away from the small town USA. Um, I was just ready to see something different. And, uh, and I suggested, I say, Hey, why don't I just move up that way? You know? And so here I am. And, and at first it was a little, it was a, yeah, it was a little shock. Uh, the snowy and cold Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> the first, well, I, I um, purposely planned to come when it was warm. I said, I'm not moving up there when it's cold. I waited till after turkey season ended in South Carolina, and I moved up here in uh, May of 08. And uh, it was nice. And the turkey season was actually still going on up here, but I think it was a lottery back then. I didn't even, you know, I hadn't applied, and it was the last couple weeks of the season. But anyway, that first winter was brutal, and uh, it was it was probably the worst one I've experienced since I got up here, moved up here, and so I got that under my belt early, and now it's been a cakewalk for the most part since then because all the winters have been milder since. Um, but yeah, man, there's, there's a lot to do up here outdoor-wise, you know, as far as game. You know, South Carolina, you either hunt some squirrel or rabbit or deer or turkey. Up here, it's, you know, it's a whole plethora of of different animals you can go after. So hunting deer, were, were you hunting deer and turkey, obviously in South Carolina, that's kind of what got you started and kind of got you addicted to hunting then, or, or tell me a little bit about, you know, your start in hunting. Well, I grew up in the country and, you know, as a kid out in rural America, you, I had a BB gun and I was shooting, you know, odd ends and things. And, you know, my dad would scold me if I shot a little Tweety bird or something, but, uh, you know, I had a, always had a, I guess, desire the outdoors because I grew up in the outdoors or in a rural area. And then, um, you know, my brother, older brother, he was into hunting. And I guess what really got me going is because he would go out hunting and I was, and I always looked up to my older brother and I was like, man, I, I'd really like to try that. And, uh, and so my dad got us, uh, got us a shotgun when I was, heck, I can't remember how old we were. Uh, I have a twin brother by the way. That's when I say we, um, we had a, a single shot shotgun of my dad's. We had to share it first and we'd go deer hunting. I think we were like 10 or 11 or something like that. And then the, for our first Christmas, he gave us a, um, it was a Maverick Mossberg 12 gauge little model 88. I think it was, we got each one, got, uh, one of those for Christmas and started hunting with it. And I think I only hunted a year or two with the shotgun and my older brother brought home a, a compound bow and, uh, and left it laid on his bed and I saw it laid on his bed and then I fell in love with it. I was like, that's what I want to do right there. So that Christmas I got me a compound bow. And, uh, that was, that was the last time I hunted deer with a gun. I started hunting with a, with a bow. Now I still, I still use a gun for Turkey. Cause I, I think to me, a shotgun is made for Turkey and a, and a bow is made for deer, but that's just, that's just my personal, my personal thing. But that's kind of where it started. And if you if you saw my uh, episode, Nebraska episode from this past spring of calling on turkeys, and my brother's out there hunting with me, 
that's that's why I gave him that shotgun out there as a thank you for him uh, inspiring me. And, and he took me a couple times, you know, early on before he joined the army, and then he was shipped overseas. And so he kind of helped get your get your addiction started. So he had to return the favor. Yeah, initially it was indirectly by him just you know him hunting and me seeing that and him bringing the bow home. But then he started taking us a few times and explaining, though, this is where you need to be. Uh, the deer might come from here. You know, he's telling all this stuff. And of course, we were reading magazines or books or whatever we'd get on TV. But uh, yeah, that was the that was the that's where the start began. Yeah, that's cool, man. So w- when you moved to Minnesota, what was your expectations, and and then how did you get started? You know, obviously hunting public land there in Minnesota. Oh, that's that's a long ago. Um, I guess um, early on, I mean, a lot of shows are, are done in the Midwest hunting shows, and so I kind of had the the thought process that. You know, all the deer up here were going to be big. You know, not necessarily antler-wise, but just big body. Um, I had a buddy that mounted a deer. He went to taxidermy school, and he brought home a, a deer from the, up in the west. And it was, I remember the the coat on it was so thick. And I just, at the time, I was like, are all the deer like that? Yeah. yeah that's just their winter coat. <laughs> <laughs> and and so that was kind of my, my, my thought right there. But, I, you know, I never really... Gave it much thought to the public land. Public land is public land to me. It's just it's just a different terrain, more grass or more swamp or whatever it may be. Now I did get the a false impression early on too that it was going to be better than it was because there was a little track of public land not far from where I was living, and uh, they you know up in the Midwest or out in different states, some public lands have agriculture on. You know that's that's foreign to me in South Carolina. You know it's just woods or or no man's land sort of thing um it's, it's junk land um and so a lot of people even if you see it on tv people say public land and it's like oh, they don't have ag on public land well up here they do and that little track of public land had soybeans growing on it and i was going out in the summer and doing some summer scouting and i'd see 20 some odd deer in an evening and uh you know one night in particular there was 22 deer in the field one doe 21 bucks and i'm like Oh, this is going to be a cakewalk <laughs> <laughs> until opening day. So I slipped in there opening morning, got my stand hung up, climbed into the tree, and it starts breaking light. And then the gate, floodgates open. There was people walking everywhere, late, late morning deer hunters, uh, small game hunters. I didn't realize how big small game hunting was up here, and it opens on the same day as opening day of deer season. So it was a madhouse and there was circus. There was deer running everywhere. There were people walking back and forth. And I'm like, oh man, this is horrible. But it calmed down a couple of weeks later. And so I started killing deer. And I think I killed three deer out of that track because all the other people were like, uh, this is ridiculous. I'm giving up. And so then, then it just kind of became, you know, vacant of hunters, maybe one or two here and there. And so I went in there and but by then the deer had had figured out deer season had started and they were being a little more secretive. But yeah, but yeah, let's jump into not to cut you off there, but let's because it was brought up a good point for me. Obviously, that first track of land that you hunted, that public land, you kind of just found it on a map. I I'm guessing, and we're like, well, that looks good. Let's let's jump on it and see what happens. Or or kind of how did that process go? How did you choose that piece of land to hunt? Uh, yeah, I just that's exactly what I did. I went onto the DNR website saw what all public land was around me um that one looked pretty good and then i saw it in person i was checking other ones also but that one looked good and i saw the beans and and i'm like yeah this is probably pretty good even though 
there was a ton of houses around it. It was kind of like suburbs. I mean, um, what do you call it? A residential area around it. My thought was, yeah, there's probably going to be some people hunting it, but most of these people, you know, aren't, or are non hunters for the most part. You know, uh, I, I was just picturing in my head a, a little old couple with a bird feeder in the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a lot of diehard hunters. And most of the people I ran into when I talked to them, they, they were, um, they were from not from that area, so so most of the locals probably didn't hunt it. But anyway, um, I guess I got a little fed up or a little tired of always seeing people. Now they didn't bother the deer because I'd I'd watch a hunter walk right by me on a little trail or something, going deeper into the property, and five minutes later a, a deer would walk up, and so I knew that the deer had patterned the people, and I would hunt in the most. Um, uh, non-obvious uh, uh, spots. You know, I mean, the spots that you say, you'll never see a deer there because there's too much people traffic. The parking lot's right over there. But I would stick with it. And I killed a nice uh, a nice deer, came in there one morning checking scrapes. And, well, I say nice. He, he wasn't huge, but he was a little eight-pointer. But he came in there at like 8.30 in the morning. And I had people, I had goose hunters out there a couple hundred yards from me, you know, hunting geese. The deer were accustomed to that. Now, I got a little bored with that, and I wanted to be... Uh, I wanted to find an area that allowed me to just go in there and sit without any human interruption, up um, interruption, and uh, and see how that went. Because you know it is a little discouraging, even when you know the deer don't mind the, the human activity as long as it goes by and they give it a chance. I wanted to find one of those little spots that I could just have some solitude. So I started looking for spots where I could, you know it. Uh, whatever the case may be, maybe a big swamp or something I had across that would deter other hunters. Uh, one of them was like a mile and a quarter back in there, and uh, I never saw another hunter. But the deer hunting wasn't great. You know, I'd see I'd see deer most times, but you know they may be a ways off. And trying to find a tree, suitable tree next to some of the good sign was a task because it's a swamp and log trees either were dead. Or had you know, were on the way of dying, or very small. You know, the, any tree with uh, a big enough size for you to hang a stand in was uh, on the islands where where the other people were hunting, the bigger islands. So some of these some of these trees I was hunting out of were like four or five inches in diameter. As soon as you would stand up, the whole tree was way back and forth. So I stood up most of the time and just stood there still, and uh, I killed a few deer that way. So that's what kind of what I'm doing. I'm and now I've kind of um, graduated to uh, different tracts of land, and and the, each one I go to, I can always fall back on if what I'm currently hunting doesn't work out. Right now I'm looking for these smaller tracks that are um, that don't look very good at all. Some of them are just open pasture or open prairie. You may get a pheasant hunter in there or something, but there's really no trees on it per se. There's a you know maybe a tree line separating the private from the public or along a fence line. But you'd be surprised. I mean, deer are bedded down in there or bedded in just a small amount of cover that might be along that tree line. And when it gets deer thirty in the evening, deer deer start popping up out of everywhere. And so, as of right now, I've yet to see another deer hunter. And I ran into one guy. He was um, I forget what he was doing, but he said, you know, you're the first deer hunter I've ever seen out here. I said, that's the way I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's good to hear, man. Yeah. When do you start scouting in there? I mean, are you, is this like, 
in the spring, summer? Are, I mean, are you turkey hunting on these spots in the spring and kind of using that as a time to scout as well? Or, you know, bring me through that process. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the biggest things right there. When I'm, when I'm, it's usually May when I start hunting close to home. You know, the uh, March and April and early May, I'm traveling, you know, Florida, Nebraska, wherever. And usually mid to late May is reserved for Minnesota and Wisconsin. And that's, I'm always, if I'm in those areas and if it's a public piece that's not too far from the house, I'm paying attention to what I'm seeing. One of them, the, one of the public places that I, that I'll probably hunt this year, I came uh, upon when I was turkey hunting a few springs back. And, uh, you know, it's, you'd see all the sign and you'd jump deer away turkey hunting. And you're like, well, if I'm seeing all this deer sign, all these deer, obviously this is probably a good spot to come back. So, you know, then I ran cameras uh, on a couple of spots and started seeing a lot of deer. And I don't know why, but it seems like it's mostly bucks in the area, even though, you know, I don't know. I guess this is a, a still trying to figure out why there's so many bucks to, to doe and, and why there's so many deer concentrated in these, these spots. Uh, some of these spots have, I have, you know, 20 different deer, 20 different bucks on camera. And I don't know if they're consolidating, you know, this or summer gathering while all the ag uh while the agricultural fields around it on the private land are just up in the spring you know planting crops there's no cover from the bed so it's consolidating all the deer in one area and then when they hit the fall pattern you know the corn's tall enough and to hide in it or you know lay out in the beans or whatever it is um now they've dispersed and i've noticed as the summer goes on i'm seeing less and less deer so they're you know it's kind of forcing them in that spot but yeah, I mean, I, I find spots during turkey season and then during the summer, it, even if it's not something I discovered in springtime while I'm turkey hunting, I'm looking at maps and looking at different spots. You know, I got, uh, there's a group of friends, uh, a group of us that we share information, public spots, and we don't mind. And we, we kind of have an unwritten rule, you know, you don't go into a spot someone else has been working hard scouting or whatever, you know, but we, we will invite each other and you know, try and film each other and whatnot. But that's, that's uh, for the most part, how I discover my lands. But then also I'm looking for new ones during the summer. And in the summer, I spend time out there walking it or, or putting cameras out, depending on where it was, uh, where it's at. If it's, uh, you know, close enough to home, I have a few wireless cameras that I run also that allow me to get pictures from, and the, the way I'm using my wireless cameras some spots, I'm, I look at it and I'm like, yeah, that could potentially be a good spot, but I don't want to spend a whole lot of time leaving the camera there if it's not really a good spot. So I may put a wireless one out there and instantly start getting feedback. And I've had I've had the camera send me a picture 10 minutes after I walked away. And I'm like, yep, <laughs> that must be a good spot. That's you know? a good spot I'm right usually, there. Yeah, I'm usually looking for travel corridors, pinch points, and that sort of thing. And because I hunt public, you can't really bait it. You know, I know in Wisconsin it's legal in some places, and it may be legal on public land, but I just that ain't the way I want to hunt. I I use my cameras as as uh, as a hunting tool, uh, and, and what I mean by that is, would I hang a stand here? So I put the camera there, like if I would hang a stand here and see what I'm seeing. I don't just want to take inventory of what deer's out there and you know wandering place. I want to I want to make it a useful tool that. Yes, this is a good spot. I'll go in there and hunt it, and I'll probably see a deer. You know, that sort of thing. 
So you use trail cameras quite a bit then? Um, here lately I have been. Um, I used to, I used to just rely on my scouting and I'd have one or two cameras, you know, and now I've kind of stocked up, the, you know, uh, uh, a few more, you know, seven to 10 cameras. Sometimes I'll, I'll get rid of one if it's getting some age on it and I might pick up a new one later, but I'm running them more often, but I'm, I'm basically running them in a, in a gang if, if, for the lack of a better term, term. I may go to one track and I may throw them all out on there in different spots see, and, and kind of get an idea of what's covering this whole track of the land, you know, as best I can. Then I may get, and they may be there a week. And I was us- I'm usually checking them every week. And I'll go out there and snatch the cameras up and I may move them to another track and see what's out there. And then once I start pinpointing good spots, then the cameras may get divided up. One's going to this little honey hole on this public. One's going to this little honey spot on this public and, you know, and so on and so forth. And I'm just kind of monitoring the activity. I've pretty much decided where I'm going to hunt, not only from past years, but the new information. So as it gets late in the summer, um, the cameras where I'm moving to is not as important. I'm just trying to keep tabs. And then um, uh, just a week ago, I pulled all my cameras. It's getting too close to the season. I don't want them cameras coming up missing because you know, they are a valuable tool. I've learned basically what I needed to learn, what's out there, what trails are hot. And I know things can change, but the spots that I'm picking, I mean, they're travel corridors, they're pinch points, they're funnels. The deer are still going to use them. So I know that they're not going to change that. And I, I just know which, which funnels are more active. And that's kind of my strategy right there. Now, what's your equipment setup look like? You know, it sounds like you you uh, hang some stands. Uh, do you use any uh, ground blinds, climbers, or just lock on type stands? Okay, so I, I have three hang on stands, and and I've been trying to collect these. These are old stands; they weigh six pounds each. These are the same model stands I had when I was first started hunting. Because nowadays it's hard to get a stand. There's some good ones out there. Don't get me wrong, but the the, the lightest one I can find is like nine pounds, and and to a lot of people, they're probably saying, wow, that's pretty light. What are you complaining about? But I have to hang a stand when I go in there, and I have to take it back out when I leave and climbing sticks because it's public land. They don't allow you to leave your stand out there. And so every hunt, I have to hang and hunt, hang and hunt. I'm also carrying a camera arm and a camera and and, and other stuff. You know, without all the camera equipment, it's, it's, it would be a, a cinch to do it. But I have quite a bit of weight in other equipment just because I'm trying to document these hunts for not necessarily for anyone else. Basically for myself, I, I enjoy going back six, seven, eight years ago and looking at some of these hunts and these footages. And when I get to be 60 and 70, I'm going to be, you know, very appreciative that I took the time, you know, it's, it becomes frustrating sometimes trying to set all this equipment up and time consuming and then take it down in the evening and charge all your batteries every night so it's ready to go in the morning and dump footage from the whatever you capture that day. But, yeah, that basically that's my setup. I have three stands. I use one primarily. The other two are just kind of backups, you know, for whatever reason. And uh, that's the same stand. I um, suppose tomorrow's opening day. I know where I'm going. I'll go in there um, with kayak. I'll walk up to the tree. If I need a stick, I'll put a stick on there and, and go up and hang my stand. Then I'll pull my backpack up and pull my bow up. I'll pull my camera arm out, you know, put it on the tree, 
Um, I had these little point of view camera, action cameras. I'll put several of those out and uh, to, to get me, you know, the angle of me uh, on the stand, you know, so I can talk to that camera, a little, little tail mic running. Uh, my action cameras, I use an external battery, uh, the batteries that you would um, charge your phone up with. And I use a 64 gig uh, micro SD card. And so I turn those on when I start my hunt and hit record. They'll record 10 hours continuously. So I don't have to worry about the deer that showed up. And I, now I got to turn all these cameras on. I just let it run. And they record in, um, I think, eight minute clips. And then it starts another clip. So it saves your saves your clips too. You don't lose anything. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it saves eight minute clip, saves eight minute clip. And, uh, and when you, in the editing, you could, they, you know, they, they seem up, you know, they go up seamlessly together. Um, the good thing about that is if I sat there for three hours and didn't see anything and then all of a sudden I saw something, I go in there and save the clips where, where there's something happening and then I'll save a clip, you know, every hour. So just one eight minute clip to, you know, to tell the story of the hunt as it went along, all the extra stuff gets deleted and it saves space. And so that's kind of my setup. Go in there and put my stand up, my camera arm, my point of view camera is my main camera, and you know, get my bow ready. And then when that hunt ends, I'm pack it all up and then head, you know, wherever. Um, as far as different locations, it's probably like everyone else. I have I have a feel for which stand I want to do. But you know, I'm thinking about this stand, this stand location rather. Oh, I just don't feel like I've seen anything there. You know, that's kind of where I go. But I'm also looking at the wind direction for a particular sit. You know, um, the one I was at today, you know, a, a, a north wind would work perfect for it. Because I could slip in there, my sense blowing right to the marsh or, or river behind me. Um, there's no deer going to, you know, come in behind me. So my, I don't have to worry about my scent that way. Another spot, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in a pinch point next to a, a bean field. Um, not far from the bean field, they they typically come around that point in the daylight, you know, because it's still some tall grass and cover brush. That wind there, I, I need a south wind. So at any particular moment, it doesn't matter what the forecast says. When I get up in the morning, um, I'm I'm able to go to either one on a moment's notice. Even though I have to hang my stands, I can slip in there quietly. I I know you know those trees from scouting off some. That's another important thing. You know, if you go in there and wait until the season starts and try to find locations, you don't know if there's going to be a suitable tree. Um, I have all my trees down to where I know that exactly where, which tree I'm going to put on, where, where my feet are, you know, where my sticks are going to go. Are you using any, like, app or something to keep track of this stuff? Or are you just kind of making notes? Or is there some different uh, technology you're using for that? Uh, I use several apps. Um, I use Scoutlook. Um uh, the weather app. Um, I use it also to mark locations. There are other uh, other apps like Hunt Stand that are real good uh, marking boundaries and other things. And, and Scoutlook does the same. It's, it's I, I never I never rely on one app. Let's just put it that way. I may use one more than the other, but I have like weather apps. For instance, I have you know four or five weather apps because I like to compare and see which one uh, ends up being more accurate. Um, um, let's see, that's, you know, I use Google Earth. I, uh, that's a, a, li- a nice thing uh, that I like Google Earth. You can, you know, I can't think of the feature, but you can go through the different years of images, satellite images, and see how things have changed. And, uh, yeah, and, and a lot of times you, you'll see things like 
because they take the images at different times, they typically, it seems like they usually take it in some of these areas I hunt in October. If you look at the, the, the month on the, on the picture, it'll have like October, 2016, uh, or September, 2015. It's around the same time, but every once in a while you'll get one that's April or May or, or uh, better yet, you get one that's March. And why that's important is, uh, late winter or early spring, you can see where the deer have beat down the grass in some of these prairies and created trails. And you might not see that in a fall or, or, or late summer picture. You know, they haven't beat down the grass. The grass is still growing. So it, it's, it's, you know, the deer can't beat it down quick enough. If it's what I'm trying to say. So now I can look at these older images. They might be older. But at least I can see, yeah, here's, here's a lot of deer activity. I can see it from the satellite image. They're cutting through this field, and they're going into the woods or coming out of the woods right there. And then I'll walk up to it in person and say, oh, yeah, they are really tearing it up right here. There's, you know, fresh tracks. Hang a camera just to verify it. And then I'm getting pictures or video morning and evening all through the day. I'm like, yeah, this is a good spot. Definitely want to come back and check this out. So, I mean, yeah, I'm using whatever resources out there. I don't have a preferred one. I'm using as many as I can get my hands on and comparing data and comparing images, you know, whatever it may be. Are you, are you hunting the same pieces of land over and over again, or do you switch it up quite a bit? Obviously the wind plays a factor in that, you know, what you're seeing throughout the season plays a factor in that. But like if, if the wind isn't right in one area and it's good in another area, you're going to go hunt that area, I assume. But are you, are you switching up quite a bit or is, or, or if something's hot, you're staying there? Um, I, I try not to burn a spot out, but at the same time, I try not to get burned out myself on a spot. You get bored at looking at the same spot over and over. I do have somewhat of a strategy and I know wind is very important, but some of my spots, my stand locations, and uh, it doesn't matter which way the wind's blowing because the deer can come from any direction, you know, and kind of my strategy is, you know, when you put a trail camera out, now I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a, let me talk uh, something about trail cameras. When you ask somebody about trail cameras, how many pictures they get a day? I see a lot of posts on Facebook where they're getting, well, I'm getting a hundred pictures a day or 300 pictures a day. Yeah. I'm curious. I'm curious how they're getting those pictures. Is it over vapor or mineral lift or what? Because I don't get that number of pictures. When I put a camera out, it's usually on a trail or a spot or a funnel or somewhere I can catch them moving. You know, I don't have a lot of feeding areas unless there's a tree dropping acorn, I can put it there. But typically, you know, I might get one to five instances of a deer coming by that spot in a day. And it may go one or day, two days without seeing anything. But it's usually the most it goes is two days without tripping that camera. During daylight, I should specify that during daylight. I'll get some day at nighttime. I'm I'm more concerned about what's coming through there in daytime. And so I built a strategy up that if I find a good spot and hopefully the weather stays good if wind is is a is an, a factor in this stand location, that I can hunt it three times. Three three days or three sits is what I uh, typically do. If I hunt it in the morning and afternoon and then the following morning. I try to hunt a spot three times because odds are I'm going to be there when a deer comes through there during daylight. If, if they're doing the same thing, I've been getting on camera, you know, even if the max distance between the time they come through is two days, I'm there on that second day. And I, so I try to hunt it at least three times straight. 
And then I'll move to another spot. Now, I'm not set in stone to do that. If all of a sudden, the weather changes drastically and the wind, and that's the stand that the wind is dependent on being in the right direction, I'll move. I may hunt it one day and one afternoon and, and then move. Um, a good a good uh, location that wind is dependent on for me is, is my water hole spot. I have to have wind that's out of the north to hunt it because the the only spot I have to hunt from the ground. And then I'm on a tall clump of weeds. I could put a ground blind out, but the deer seem to, to be wary of it. So I just get in the tall grass. And if the wind is coming out of the north or north uh, west, I can hunt it. The problem with that, the weather typically cool when you get wind out of the north, northwest, and the deer aren't quite as thirsty as they don't visit as much. But on those hot days, you know, if I can, I've still had deer come in and had opportunities at the water hole. But that's but what I'm getting to is that's a spot that it's dependent on the wind being a specific direction. If it come out of the south, those deer would walk to the water hole and smell me every time and uh, be out of there. And what's your scent control like? <laughs> Downy Fresh, well, it used to be Downy Fresh Tide or whatever it is, uh, <laughs> or April Fresh, April Fresh Downy. Um, I think she's using game now. I'm, and I'm, I'm serious. Uh, I just wash my clothes like I do my regular clothes. Um, I used to go through the whole regimen of, you know, cleaning it, scent clean, and getting it scent free, putting it in a box, you know, sealing it airtight, uh, even putting, you know, tree limbs and stuff in there to help soak up the tree smell. Uh, using earth covers, you know, all that stuff. It got to be so time-consuming and involved that it was just taking the fun out of it. And I'm, and I was like, you know, I'm tired of doing this. But I'm seeing deer all the time. Just using my deer don't know what April uh, or down, uh, April first down is. You know, <laughs> it smells like springtime to me. Yeah. So basically, that's a cover scent. Um, but I see, I see lots of deer. I, I went out there and did a little observational sit a couple weeks ago and I, I had deer come in uh, a, a small buck and a, and a young doe like all up on a tree never gave any any indication they smelled me um uh, right at dark i had a nice 10 pointer come in he walked up right behind me 10 yards sniffing around eating acorns and then he turned and kind of milled off and i'm like none of these deer acted at all like they smelled me of course i'm using um uh, rubber boots. I use the lacrosse airheads, the 18 inch tall ones. So that does help as far as the extent down. That's hunting it for turkey and deer. And I do yard work in those boots. They're so comfy. <laughs> but, uh, that's, that's basically my scent control regimen is playing the wind and using, you know, uh, tall rubber boots. And that's, that's about the point, uh, the, the extent of that. So do you use deer calls or do any rattling? I have, uh, the messenger grunt call from hooks, uh, you know, Grant Woods with a uh, grown deer. He and, um, um, James, uh, Harrison, uh, designed that call and it made it to sound like a young buck. And you can also make it sound like a, a doe as well by adjusting the, the, the little rubber O-ring. But my, my grunting strategy is when I see a deer, then I'll grunt to it and then kind of get a feel or how it's reacting. I see a doe, I'll grunt to it, you know, and, and if it looks at me and it goes back to what it's doing, I may grunt once, twice, and, and if it acts like it's not interested, then I, you know, I quit calling. Um, 
bucks, I'll grunt to them also. I've had a lot of success running in bucks. Um, I don't know if it's just curiosity or as especially as October rolls around. Um, last year I had a nice eight pointer. I grunted to him like five or six times. I was having, uh, trying to get his attention. He was just walking and kept putting his head to the ground sniffing. And I finally got him to, to lift his head up and I grunted to him and he heard that grunt and boy, he come running and he, he stopped right at like 35 yards. And, uh, I'd already filled my buck tag, but I just, you know, it's fun to play with them. Oh, totally. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, rattling, I've, I've had quite a bit, a bit of success with rattling and I use, uh, antlers from a smaller buck. I think, uh, they only have like three points on each side, but the thing about these antlers, they have a lot of nodules and bumps on the, on the base of the antlers. And so you can put them together and kind of grind them. And it sounds like, you know, a bigger deer than that, what they actually are. But they're compact because they're small. And I'll usually bring those out. And around the first or second week of October, I'll start playing around with those. They really start getting good, you know, in late October. And I can I can rattle with those. And a deer just pop out of nowhere. You know, I, I actually uh, rattled in a really nice buck a few years back. And he came from the worst possible direction. And he, he ran out and he was looking right towards me and I was frozen. I couldn't move. And he was like 25 yards away and he stared there for, it seemed like an eternity. And then I guess he figured uh, something was not right. And so he just wheeled around and trotted off back into the woods. Seems like that happen, happens every time I, I do any kind of rattling too. I'm out in Kansas, I did some rattling out there, you know, pre-rut and rut time. And, uh, seems like they always come from the spot you don't want them to come from. And then you're locked in a yeah. spot where you can't get moved to make a good shot on them. It's, it's funny how that happens. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, what I've learned uh, from a couple of instances. And that's when you rattle, it, don't do it very long the first time. Do it 30 seconds you know, or something like that. Put those antlers away and grab that bow and have it in your hand ready. Because if something's coming, it's coming quick. Yeah, and I don't sit there and just rattle for, I heard a guy one time we were in public land and he rattled for, I bet five minutes straight. Oh my gosh. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, he would not stop. And, and I'm like, uh, you just, if a deer came in, you'd have antlers in your hand and no bow in your hand. So you know, my thing is the very first rattling sequence I do, I'll rattle for like, you know, 20, 30 seconds. I'll put the antlers down and grab my bow. Um, I may do one more rattling sequence if that doesn't get anything. You know, I'll do it about an hour later or something, assuming that deer are moving around and deer couldn't hear earlier. Now they will be. You know, I may do two rattling sequences throughout a hunt, and then that's it. I don't try to use it too much. You know, if there's something in the air that, that can hear it and it's in the move, you know, good. But I like relying on the grunt call and, and sight calling to them. If I see them, I call. I, I, I blind call occasionally, but it's far and few between. You know, if there's nothing around, I, I don't just blindly call on time. Occasionally I will grunt, especially if I'm in a wooded area. But I, I typically like to wait till I see a deer, you know, if it's two or three hundred yards away and then grunt to it and see its reaction. Uh obviously no one wants to see a deer two or three hundred yards away and neither do I. I usually try to put my stand where I'm gonna see him at twenty yards away. <laughs> but but I also I also try to put my stand where I can see quite a ways so that I can sight call the deer. You know, once I see him I can try and lure him in. Are you using any scents? No, uh, I'm, I'm basically giving up on scents. You know, deer scents, the you know, doe pee, and all that stuff. 
Um, you know, I'm not sure. You know, I'm no, I'm no scientist. I don't have any research to back this up. But I'm not sure that deer even can tell the difference between, you know, a deer pee and a human pee. Um, you may know this. I, I, I pee out of my stand all the time. I may get up my stand, get things set up, and I'll piss right on the ground. I hope I can say that. <laughs> but I, I don't know how many times I've had deer come up. And he, I don't know if they're coming up because they can smell it or it's just by coincidence. But I've had deer come up and actually sniff the spot on the ground. And, and I'm like, I don't think they know what it is. I don't think they can tell the difference. To them, it's urine, and they're, they're checking it out and seeing if there's deer in heat around here or something, you know. Uh, so now my strategy, strategy has been to, to pee all over the limbs and let them drip off the leaves and stuff. So I have now I have a bigger, uh, bigger you know, scent uh, stream coming out. So yeah, that's that's kind of my, that's my only sense I'm using my own scent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> self created. What would you tell the new public land hunter who you know maybe is a little intimidated about hunting on public land? I would tell them first of all, public land. Forget about what you've heard about public land. You know, I know a lot of people are scared of it because there's other hunters out there and this and that. Public land is probably the safest land you can hunt. It's you know more accidents happen on private land uh, for stats for the stats. Um, the other thing is um, you know just going there and being aware that you're not going to see as many deer if you were hunting public private land before. You you may sit two or three times in a row before you see your first deer, and it may not be in in but you're going to start zeroing in from what you see. Another thing is be confident or, or, or fight your way through a spot that you're not necessarily confident in. You know, I've, I've hung stands and thought I'm in a good spot. And as I sit in a tree, I start getting discouraged. I'm like, yeah, I probably am not going to see anything here, but just stick with it. You know, and then all of a sudden a deer shows up. Um, don't hop around too much. Uh, oh, I'm going to try this spot today. Tomorrow I'm going over there. If you find an area that has good sign, you think it's going to be a good spot. Give us some time, you know, hunt it two or three days straight, uh, and then move to another spot. Like, like kind of like my strategy. Uh, you know, the other thing is, I've I've heard and seen people and, and listened to them talking. You know, they get up in, in a spot and they also get discouraged and they don't think they're going to see anything, and so they get down early, and then leave. And that's the worst thing you do. You didn't spend the time and effort to get out there and hang your stand. Stick it out till dark. You know, and what happens? You know, even if you're seeing people, I've seen people with, you know, that last 30 minutes of light, saw a feather hunter or, or whatever it was, small game hunter, leaving and walking out. And then five minutes later or 10 minutes later, a deer comes out. Just because you see someone in that last 30 minutes to an hour doesn't mean they've ruined your hunting. That deer is bedded down over there. They don't see that person walking out. You know, as long as that person's not making a huge ruckus, that deer's still there. And then it gets up out of his bed and then it comes walking by you because you you know, you found a nice little acorn tree and, and it's dropping, you know, so that's the, the, the main, main thing is stick with it. You know, even if you don't have total confidence in your location, you know, struggle through or fight through with the urge to get down early. And, uh, and the number one thing I guess I would say is put in some time scouting, spend some time in the, in the summer, you know, run trail cameras where, where you can, um, you know, that sort of thing. You know, I put a lot of time in turkey season, turkey hunting, and I'm keeping an eye on the public land. But I'm also, all summer long, I bet I've been out. Uh, there's probably only one time I missed a week. I was out at least one day a week this entire summer doing something, you know, either scouting, 
or, or timing myself, uh, how long it takes me to get from the house to, the, uh, to this one location to get to the tree, you know, so that I can be prepared open the day. You know, I don't want to get there late. Um, you know, whatever, whatever it was, I'm, I was spending time out there, you know, and that helped pass the summer is what it really was helping. Doing. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, I was anxious to get out here and start hunting. So yeah, um, I guess to wrap it up with, with a, a new person of whole land is, you know, spend some time looking the scouting and stick it out. Go out there and sit in a few days. You're not going to see as many deer as you did on the private, but, uh, you know, if you just have some confidence in your decisions, you're, you're eventually going to come together. Totally. I, that's some good advice, Shane. As we wrap up the show today, I like to ask each of my guests an additional question. And that question is, why do you hunt? Oh, wow. That's a big question there. Why do I hunt? There's a lot of reasons. Um, the first one that pops on top of my head is, you know, I love the outdoors. I'm a, I'm a nature holic, I guess you'd call it. I'm a, uh, uh, unaccredited naturalist. You know, I love the monarch butterflies watching the, learning the journey about them from Mexico and then back down. Um, you know, every other career out there, I have a salamander I found, I keep it in the house. You know, I'm, I'm always intrigued by nature and all the different things and deer hunting, turkey hunting gets me out there when I'm sitting in a tree you know, I'm waiting on a deer, of course. But there's, a, you know, there's insects doing stuff, and there's birds doing stuff, and I'm listening to the sounds of birds, and I don't recognize it. And I go home and get on the internet, and I, find, I want to find out what bird that is. You know, all that stuff intrigues me. I guess it's just down in my, you know, in my soul or something. It's something that I really uh, am interested in. Then, on the other side, you know, I enjoy, um, I don't know, I enjoy the hunt, the challenge. It's almost like a chess game. Um, you, you're trying to find out these deer, uh, their pattern and what they're doing, why they do different things. You're trying to sneak in there, you know, and without alerting them of your presence. And uh, you want, as being a bow hunter, you've got to get in to within, you know, 20 or 30 yards is what you ideally like to be. So you really got to be on top of your game and, and everything's got to come together. And so that, that aspect is really, uh, you know, the, you know, it's an enjoyable aspect of it for me. And then at the end, I process my own deer meat. And there's, to me, there's nothing more satisfying than, you know, hanging that deer up and skinning it and, and then cornering it out and then cutting it into steaks or grinding it into burger and then preparing the meal. Tonight, I'm actually preparing. I have one last hind quarter from a deer from last year that's thawed out. I'm going to cut a big chunk of meat off of it. We're going to have a herb uh, mixture that we're going to lather it in and it's basically like a prime rib venison and uh, you probably saw the picture I posted a while back uh, man this thing is scrumptious has that nice little pink color to it and you just slice it real thin oh man it's delicious and then what's left over you take some loaf bread and some mayonnaise and then you got a nice venison steak sandwich one of the oh, best in the man. world I think Man, you're making me hungry. <laughs> so, it's it's about supper <laughs> supper time's coming here pretty quick. I'm getting hungry now. Yeah, if, we if it turns out as good as the last one, I'll I'll send you a picture of it. But uh, yeah, it's all those things. It's the it's the entire package from the start, you know, the nature to the hunt, the challenge of the hunt, and then preparing my own meals from something I I harvested and I processed myself, and then you know enjoying that meal afterwards. So it's there's a lot that goes into it, and it really drives me to hunt. It, it really is fulfilling to the soul uh, for me. I agree. with. I'm right there with you, man. Where can, uh, where can the listeners connect with you at, Shane, and where can they find you? 
Uh, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on callingallturkeys.com. Um, uh, in the spring, I, uh, I have, you know, turkey episodes, turkey hunting episodes every every week. I try to get them up. Uh, we'll be on Carbon TV uh, here soon in a few weeks. Um, but And on the Mossberg YouTube channel. Uh, as far as my deer hunting from this fall, it'll just be on my personal Facebook page, Shane Simpson. Um, I don't know how she can find me. <laughs> yeah, I'll link that up in the in the show notes so everybody can find it because I definitely like to follow your personal profile on Facebook as well just because you do a lot of your, your deer hunting stuff there. and It kind of brings that, like I said at the start, it kind of brings that common man, you know, factor to things. You know, you, you share a little bit about your life there, but you also share, you know, about your hunting. So, yeah. And it's on my YouTube channel as well. If you just go to YouTube and, and type in Shane Simpson, uh, Shane Simpson, you know, hunting, it'll bring up my page and all my, it's kind of like a, a, a journal of my hunt this year. My, I don't have a, a full blown created episode for my deer hunts like I do for my turkey, but I am going to try and document all my hunts and my journey through the season and, you know, share it with everyone if they want to check it out. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> they don't have to. But it'll be on my Facebook page and on my YouTube channel. So cool. That's where they can see it if they'd like to, like to check it out. You have any other closing thoughts you want to mention? Uh, just everyone be safe where you harvest, um, and good luck this fall. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for uh, coming on here and sharing your wealth of information. All right. I appreciate it, Colin. And I uh, want to thank you for giving me the opportunity. You have a good fall as well. You bet. You bet. Talk to you later. Hope you enjoyed the interview this week with Shane. If you're a new hunter and having trouble finding a place to hunt, don't overlook public land. Visit your state's DNR website to find out more about the public lands that are available for hunting in your area. If you have any questions or need help, don't hesitate to ask at our digital campfire. You can become a member for free at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash activate the hunt. To find all the topics, quotes, and important links we talked about in this episode, or get in contact with Shane, You can find the show notes at activatethehunt.com forward slash 007. Finally, don't forget to hit subscribe on whatever app you're listening from. And I would also appreciate it if you'd leave me a rating and review. This will help others that are looking for hunting information find this podcast. We will be back next week with a new interview. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you for listening to Activate the Hunt podcast. For additional information about this podcast, the show notes, hunting articles, and more, visit www.activatethehunt.com.